Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we are finishing up the revenge arc. We're doing season five, episode 15, Shades of Reason, and season five, episode 16, The Lawless. Fortune cookie, alliances can stall true intentions. Villainy swells as we open up into Shades of Reason. So Maul is using the crime lords, and his plan is to sow chaos on Sundari. That's Darth Maul to you? Oh, is it now? <laughs> and so the plan is that... Uh, the all the Shadow Collective Syndicate crime lords are going to sow a bunch of chaos and Death Watch is going to come in and be like, we are here to save you using authoritarianism. It is a big pageant. It's uh it's scary. Bo-Katan already is like, it's a risk to trust those monsters. How do we know they'll keep their end of the bargain? And no one really trusts each other, but the plan goes off. The pikes take over the docks, are shooting things, the syndicates are everywhere, they're taking slaves. And pretty soon, Satine is having to stand up in front of the assembled populace of Sundari and say, everybody remain calm. And then Pre Vizsla crashes the party. He flies in on his jetpack and says, we're Death Watch and we're here to rescue you. And he gives this whole speech. Satine lets him. And he talks about how Death Watch is going to restore Mandalore and fight off these criminals and yada yada. So they do so. And there's a whole bunch of mock combat as... Visla sends Death Watch across the city mm -hmm. to rescue the citizens from the gangsters. And you can't see me, but I'm doing the heaviest of air quotes. And the, uh, you know, it's, it actually makes Death Watch seem better because they're taking in so many of these criminals alive. There's one very cool scene sort of at the end where... Savage Opress has robbed a bank and he's running away and the cops are chasing him. And by the time the cops catch up with him around the corner, there is Pre Vizsla with the Darksaber dueling Opress down. You're not going to have to worry about these criminals anymore. Thanks, Pre Vizsla. So finally in the throne room, Pre Vizsla barges in and there we go. It is a coup. Satine has been deposed and Pre Vizsla's in charge. Yeah, so the people start to cheer for Vizsla. Mm -hmm. Death Watch installs him as sort of de facto prime minister. They throw Satine in jail. Next to Prime Minister Almec. That's former Prime Minister Almec to you. Mm -hmm. And then Vizsla uses the momentum of his political rise to turn on Maul and Savage. Yeah, he says the transition to power will be seamless and we now have the support of the people and Satine to bait Kenobi. With his demise, our deal will be complete. And Maul says... Your oversight requires correction. We now have a base and army and the means to expand to other systems. And Previsla says, it wasn't an oversight. It was intentional. Your vision no longer matters and pulls guns on him and puts him in jail. And as they're sitting in a jail, Maul is sitting there with Savage. And he's like, hmm, I feel like we've actually been delivered a boon here because all the remaining powerful enemies of Previsla are in this jail. Savage, I wish for a tour of this fine facility. So Savage opens the door using the force, starts yeeting guards like across the room as they walk around. They stop by Satine's cell and she says, there's no one left but Almec and I and he's as corrupt and vile as you. And he's like, really? Awesome. Maul is like, very helpful. Thank you. Yes, we would like the corrupt one. <laughs> and so Almec is a terrible syncophant. And then we get to Maul's true plan. He knows that because... Uh, Previsla is part of the Death Watch, which is this Mandalorian hierarchical culture fully vested in might makes right. 
he's like, well, I'm going to challenge Previsal to a, a lightsaber duel, and whoever wins will be the leader of Mandalore. Because Death Watch will be honor-bound to follow Maul, and then they'll get the people mm-hmm. to follow Death Watch. And if he refuses the challenge, then he'll be a hypocrite, and he'll fall, and I can replace him. So yes. easy peasy. So they go in, and they have an absolutely epic fight. Darksaber versus Sith lightsaber. And Darth Maul does not use hardly any of his force powers. He doesn't fling people across the room. He doesn't, you know, do anything super speedy. Um, it's a pretty crazy fight. At the very end, Previsla is about to jump up and do his big, you know, ultimate finisher move on Maul. Maul does use the force. They crash into each other at high speed. They both bounce back. Previsla runs forward. He shoots Maul's lightsaber out of his hand. But then Maul is like, oh, you, you thought I was good with a lightsaber. Watch this. He grabs Previsla's lightsaber hand, breaks the wrist, spins him around, puts him in a headlock, grabs the darksaber, and says, you know, basically any last words. He claims the darksaber by victory in combat. And Previsla's last words are, like you said, only the strongest shall rule. And as we pan, there's an artfully uh, placed... <laughs> Mandalorian Mal to prevent us yeah, from, from seeing as Previsla gets uh, the Django special. Off with your head. Yes. And then Maul makes all of Death Watch bow to him, mm-hmm. their new leader. Except Bo-Katan is like, heck no. And they start, her faction, the Night Owls, start a running combat as they are leaving. They're throwing grenades. They all bounce and get aboard their ships. And now there's been a schism in Death Watch, and Maul artfully sits down, you know, languishes on the throne and points at Almac, go, rule my people. So Almac walks out onto the stage in front of the entire populace of Sundari, announces that Satine is the one who murdered Vizsla, mm-hmm. and that Almac is now reinstated as prime minister per Vizsla's last dying words. He is, I, I have my notes for him are syncopatic wet noodle. Yes. And then he finishes the episode by bowing to Maul, his new master, mm-hmm. who has gotten an entire planet out of this bargain, but still hasn't achieved his ultimate goal. So now we move to season five, episode 16, The Lawless. Fortune cookie. Morality separates heroes from villains. And I'm like, no, duh, Star Wars. <laughs> So we open on Satine, still imprisoned in Sundari, and then lo behold, Corky, as in Cadet Corky, Satine's nephew, breaks her out of jail with Bo-Katan. How the turntables. How the turntables. So Bo-Katan is on Satine's side now, or, well, she's on the side of Mandalore. She's anti-Maul. She's not really on Satine's side, but she's like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And Satine says there was a time when we weren't enemies. So they break her out. They take her through the city in a speeder. But the former Death Watch, I don't know what we call them now. Well, they're they're the color-coded for convenience Mandalorians. They're the super commando horned red and black mall flavored the, Mandalorians. The, the Maldalorians. Okay, the Maldalorians. The Maldalorians are hot on her tail the whole time. There is a very exciting chase scene through Sundari. Satine is trying desperately to get to the edge of the city so that she can get a message through to the Jedi. Mm-hmm. The Maldalorians <laughs> crash her speeder. She runs to the edge of this landing. She gets a message through to Obi-Wan. And then one of the Maldalorian commandos corners her. She's trapped. Her message makes it to the Jedi. 
But the rub is that Mandalore is still a neutral system. Mm -hmm. So the Jedi can't or won't justify stepping in to help them. If Obi-Wan wants to take action, he's going to have to do it alone. Obviously, this is exactly what Maul planned. Yeah. Obi-Wan comes in hot onto Mandalore. He's in Anakin's crappy Twilight ship. It is like on fire. It's leaking fluids <laughs> everywhere. He's wearing Racco Hardin's old vest. It's very fun. He beats up the landing dock guard. He takes the Maldalorian armor. He strolls right into Satine's cell. And it's so easy. They walk out of the prison. They hop onto a speeder. They get into a freighter. And it turns out this is just the second of two doomed escape attempts. The Twilight takes off, but the Maldalorians shoot it down. And Maul and Savage roll up in a speeder. They order the Twilight bombed. Satine and Obi-Wan spill out onto the tarmac at Maul's feet. Mm-hmm. He takes them to the throne room. And he has Satine kneeling in handcuffs in front of her own beautiful stained glass portrait. Yeah. And he tells Obi-Wan... I languished for years, thinking of nothing but you, nothing but this moment, and now the perfect tool for vengeance is right in front of me. He pulls Satine to him, he takes out the Darksaber, and he runs her through, and Obi-Wan cradles her as she dies in his arms. She touches his face, and she says, I've always loved you, and I always will, and she dies in his arms. So Obi-Wan is... Stunned, mm-hmm. He gently puts her back down on the ground. Maul orders the Mandalorians to drag him back to his cell. Let him drown in his misery. But instead, Bo-Katan launches a third daring escape. And third time's the charm. This one works. Well, as this starts, we cut to Coruscant and the Chancellor's office. And he says, someone comes in and he says, prepare my ship. So Bogotan hooks a jetpack onto Obi-Wan's back. They fly off into Sundari. And then out of nowhere on Mandalore, the Imperial March plays. And Darth Sidious himself lands on Mandalore. Because he is not Chancellor Palpatine right now. He is wearing his Sith robes. And as he lands, there's two Mandalorian guards. And they're like, we need to see your ship's landing authorization. He just chokes them and throws them like, like, straws in the 1990s just into the ocean he makes his way to the throne room maul his former apprentice kneels and says master and he tells sidious how glad he is that he built this empire to bring it back to his master i built all this with the hopes of rejoining you at your side and then sidious says how unfortunate that you are attempting to deceive me. You are my rivals. Holy Sith. He cracks Maul and Savage against the windows and all three Sith fire up their lightsabers. Back to the B-plot, back in the city, Bo-Katan is fighting her way through the Maldalorians with Obi-Wan. She commands him to leave and to tell the Republic what's happened. And as he's boarding an escape ship, He figures out that she is Satine's sister, Mm -hmm. and he tells her that he's sorry for her loss and escapes. So, Sidious is dueling the brothers' oppress. He is 
toying with them. He's toying with them. It is never a question how this fight is going to end up. In one easy backhand stroke, he shoves both of his lightsabers back through Savage's chest. Yeah. Maul leaps after him. Mother Talzin's magic is leaking out of Savage. He's shrinking. He's returning to his normal size. He apologizes to his brother for not being worthy, for not being good enough. Yeah. And then Sidious turns all of his power against Maul. He overpowers him. He throws him against the wall. He throws him against the floor. Maul is crawling away on the floor, begging for mercy. And Sidious tells him, remember the first and only reality of the Sith. There can only be two. And you are no longer my apprentice. He tortures him with force lightning. And he says, don't worry. I'm not going to kill you. And then we fade the episode out on Maul's screams. As he's getting shocked. As the camera zooms out, we're seeing Sidious shocking Maul from 20 feet away. And that's the episode. Yep. So. Let's take a moment. Let's let's breathe with that for a second. Three big deaths. I know people have been waiting with bated breath for me to get to The Lawless, mm-hmm. the last episode in this arc, because Satine is one of my favorite characters, has been one of my favorite characters. Satine and Obi-Wan is my OTP. Yeah. Like my one true Star Wars romance is Obi-Wan and Satine. Yeah. But actually, Shades of Reason was the episode that hit me like a Tonka truck. Really? That's the one that stuck with me. Let me let me monologue for just a minute. Of course. We've had a very hard week politically. It is currently the... It First is, weekend in July, it 2022. Is July 3rd, 2022. We just saw the end of the 22 Supreme Court term. So we saw the rollback of basic civil liberties, the rollback of environmental protections. Tribal protections. We're watching a televised trial about an insurrection against the U.S. government. And it was very, very difficult to watch an episode about a bunch of thugs manipulating people's fear and outrage so that they could overthrow the rightful government. Yeah. They installed a leader who didn't have the votes. They got people to cheer for violence, Mm -hmm. pretending that it's patriotism. And they literally rolled Mandalorian society back to a worse time. Where the Mandalorian society had been... Continu- I mean, continuously for thousands of years, rising and falling in an orgy of violence. Absolutely. And then there was finally a period of uneasy peace with Satine as the Duchess of Mandalore instituting a pacifist realm. It wasn't perfect. They had some struggles. They had some corruption. But fewer people were dying under this regime than they probably did when the Mandalorians were all about their ancestral warrior culture. Well, I mean, Definitely. The other thing that was really hard about this episode, and then we can move on, (laughs) it was that this is the second week in a row that we lose a powerful female character. Yeah. Last week, we lost Adi Galia. Yeah. A Jedi Master. This week, we lost Duchess Satine. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just, I wonder sometimes if screenwriters think that they're going to make a bigger impact by killing women. Yeah. 
I think that's a, a really valid point. It's like they're saying, look how egalitarian we are. Women are just as powerful in this universe as men, and they die just like men. But the thing is that we have so many fewer female characters in Star Wars than male characters mm-hmm. that when you kill women off at the same rate as men, you do end up with a lot fewer women to populate the universe. I mean, maybe that's why in the original trilogy, there's only, you know, two women at all right there's leia and mon mothma yeah yeah so gosh so that's my soapbox that's why i cried seven times yesterday yeah i think that that's a good read as well there's there's a couple things there one of them is as you said this is the the death of mandalore in that context but bo katan's words as she's leaving to to obi-wan go to the republic ask them for help and Obi-Wan says, like, I know your deal. That will bring the, that will likely lead to a Republic invasion. Mm -hmm. And she says, Maul will die. Mandalore will survive. We always survive. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Bo-Katan a little bit? Yeah. So Bo-Katan had some real hits and misses for me. I don't know how you read Bo-Katan in this arc. Well, talk about it. So she's a teen sister, right? So we, we know she's some kind of nobility. She's some kind of privileged royalty figure. Well, I mean, Previsla was the former governor of Concordia. Right. But Bo-Katan was related to a duchess. That's true. So she is some kind of privileged nobility. Mm -hmm. She decided to turn against her own sister's crusade for peace. Yeah. And then when she sees Maul overtake Vizsla, she decides that even though he was following death watches warrior culture Mm -hmm. she decided that mandalore was more important mandalore came above her chosen splinter group yeah so that's interesting that's kind of free thinking and original of her but i wrote down bo-katan is a xenophobic nationalist question mark question mark because she says that no outsider can ever rule Mandalore. She doesn't want an outsider, heavy air quotes, ruling. It is notable that all of the crowd shots of Mandalore, it looks like a recruiting poster for 1930s Germany. It's a white, Scandinavian-looking blonde population. Yeah. Like, bo with her red hair actually sticks out. She looks like a minority. Yeah, and they're all very pale, which um, is covered up later in... The Mandalorian, for example, where there are Mandalorians of various ethnicities. Mm -hmm. They're all human, but that means whatever. I think that perhaps Bo-Katan might have read that the situation was going to Maul's plan. And so she just used whatever words were available to show. She's like, he's a criminal who like forged his way through our system through the rules that we put in place yesterday when he had a coup (laughs) and so like obviously he's unfit to rule right right it's just when i when i hear a character saying like mandalore first mandalore always survives Mm -hmm. my brain goes patriotism or nationalism yeah no i i agree i've always had a pet theory because unfortunately there's not a huge amount on top of what we are aware of on the nature of Mandalorian culture. Yeah, we get very little. We get that the Darksaber's this important object to them that has killed many Jedi. There are some really interesting murals around this arc of the of Mandalorians in combat with Jedi. Mm, so yes. I think we get an understanding that the Mandalorian culture has been pitted against Force users. 
Yes. But that's about it. That's about it. It's an old culture. Mm -hmm. It's very old. But how does one become a Mandalorian or, you know, wearing the armor all the time, various religious sects within it? That's not explored. And I think that makes sense because it's the kind of thing it's like uh, if you were to take all of the time, all of the hours of Star Wars content and explain like the different sects of Christianity, you would run out of steam before you're 1% through. You know, not, it doesn't make for great television. It's that and it's incredibly complicated, which shows a cool story of the Mandalorians. Yeah, I think we're supposed to auto-fill in some of our yeah. beliefs and understandings about a white warrior race. I think mm-hmm. we're supposed to code them as Viking or Slavic. I actually code them more as the Mongolian Empire. Oh, say more. So it is very much a strength of individual arms with an emphasis on uh, logistics and honor and a military meritocracy, as well as carrying on the familial traditions, but sons and daughters could be adopted and granted rights. An adopted child had just as many rights as a different child. That's super interesting. We will certainly want to come back to that in a million years when we get to the Mandalorian TV show. Maybe. It doesn't cover nearly as much as that. However, I think the important thing, uh, there are three things that I clocked with Bo-Katan while we're on her. Uh, One of them is the first time that Bo-Katan and Obi-Wan meet, she gives him the the one-two. And I think that's very funny. She she gives him an up and down and a little smirk. Like she's like, ah, all right. This is who my sister's into. I see it. Oh my God, I missed that. Wait, that's amazing. It's it's pretty funny. Also, when Obi-Wan first arrives, Bo-Katan is waiting in the eaves, so to speak. She is overlooking the docks and she sees him and then she's like no we're not doing anything yet we're going to follow him to let her plan go forward i love that her group is the night owls because that is kind of the role that she takes throughout this arc she's always silently watching from above Mm -hmm. she's so vigilant and she's always there and sometimes she's smirking and sometimes she's scheming but she's always Except for the pivotal moment when Satine is murdered, she's always in the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what the plan would have been, but I know at the very end of Obi-Wan's arc of this, he's about to escape, a gauntlet shows up, it disgorges its load of Mandalorians, and then it gets shot down and another one comes in. So they had enough space for Obi-Wan to escape. Her plans cascaded into effect. And we're able to go immediately, which shows that she was building a power base under Previsla. And I think that's pretty cool. I think that is cool. I love that moment when the Mandalorians at the front of the group in the throne room after the Vizsla Maul duel, all as one bow down to Maul. And Bo-Katan is standing with her entire cohort mm-hmm. who refused to kneel. And I love that she even surrounded herself with her loyal crew that they were like close enough to touch her that entire time. Yeah. It's a very beautiful visual split. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I love watching someone who's like able to pull victory or at least like a survival from the jaws of defeat like that. Actually, this brings up something really interesting. And I want to talk about Bo-Katan and Satine. Mm -hmm. I need to believe that there's something meaningful in Satine's death. Let me just say that I hate when screenwriters use the death of the female romantic lead 
female romantic interest to spur their male hero to some like greater plan or like he learns something or like he comes to some greater height. Well, especially because the height that Obi-Wan would have reached would have been equanimity with that. He would have been like, of course, I loved her, but I am neutral in the force. He has a lot of things to say about how uh, to Maul when they're facing each other in the throne room. It takes strength to resist the dark side. Yeah. And you will never know how powerful someone on the light side is who has resisted the dark side their entire life. And Obi-Wan also says, I know where you're from. I've been to your village. I know the decision to join the dark side wasn't yours. The Night Sisters made it for you. And Maul is like, no, this is terrible. I don't need to hear this. But it is interesting that even after this, when Obi-Wan is in misery after Satine's death, I don't think that it affected it. I don't think it broke him the way that Maul wanted it to because Obi-Wan is a user of the light side of the force. Right. Everything that he needed to learn to resist the dark side, everything that made him powerful in the light is Mm -hmm. the kind of thing that helps him to grieve for Satine and then let that attachment go. Right. The other powerful meaning in Satine's death is unfortunately a negative one, but she was the keystone that held together a working Mandalore. And after this, Mandalore has devolved into civil war. So I don't think that's the ultimate meaning in her death. If there is meaning to be found in Satine's death, for me, it's what Obi-Wan said to Satine way back in the first Mandalore arc. In the third episode, he said, you need your friends close to you, Mm -hmm. not held at arm's length. So Satine believed so strongly in this pacifist ideal that she created this whole new political system out of nothing counter to Mandalorian culture, but she didn't keep her allies close. She mm-hmm. let Mandalore continue to be an independent system so that at the very end of her life, she had created a system where the quote unquote good guys could not come to her aid yeah. because Mandalore was isolated. So the lesson for me is that no one is an island. Everybody needs people around them. You can't hold yourself apart from people. Yeah. And that's why when Bo-Katan was surrounded by her loyal Mandalorian allies, her teammates, her crew, her night owls, that is why she was able to be successful because she had people. And Satine didn't have people. That's true. That's true. So if there's anything that I'm getting out of Satine's death, it's not like, oh, this is a tragedy for Obi-Wan. It is a tragedy for Obi-Wan. It's a tragedy for the galaxy, but it's also a lesson. You have to open yourself up to people. You have to let yourself be supported. Yeah. You have to be loved and you have to be known. Yeah. Yeah. And that is Satine's weakness because pacifism as an ideology, like just extreme pacifism is founded in the community. And that was her weakness with Almec originally. And he called her out on this because they had adjoining cells. He said, I was providing my, my black market dealings were keeping the people alive. Yeah. I was showing up political support for you. And she said, but you were doing it through corruption. And then later on, she kowtowed to uh Previsla and he was able to take her, crowd away right away like they they had very little 
ability to withstand discomfort. Her, her support was so tenuous. And that is because she held herself at arm's length. I think we keep being told this lesson in season five of The Clone Wars especially, that extremism leads to failure. You mm-hmm. have to be balanced. You have to be flexible. You have to be willing to bend. And you have to withstand the temptations of the easy path. Yeah. Because at no moments more than that one have I seen, and it might be because I recently finished Kenobi, but watching Obi-Wan versus Maul in the throne room, they didn't fight with swords. They didn't fight with fists. They fought with ideas. Mm -hmm. And Obi-Wan recognized that the ideas that he practiced of friendship, community, and non-attachment were stronger than these ideas of, of hatred and hurting others. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm also just laughing at the thought of Obi-Wan in the throne room with his philosophic ideals. Yeah. <laughs> Obi-Wan looks good in red, though. He looks fantastic. Looks good in, in that Mandalorian armor. So I want to talk about Sidious. Okay, so do I. Let's talk about Sidious. Sidious rolls up in his ship, walks off, kills a bunch of dudes. Darth Vader, or Darth Maul, sorry, is sitting there in the throne room saying, (laughs) in the throne room with his lightsabers, with his brother. (laughs) And he says, I felt something, a presence I haven't felt since. (gasps) Master. Which is the exact thing that. Uh, Darth Vader says on the Death Star in episode four. Oh my god! um, Except for Master. But, uh, and then Darth Maul tries to scrape and bow and scheme. And that was unexpected for me. I expected a fight to break out right there. Yeah, Maul was so interesting in all of these interactions with Sidious. He Mm -hmm. was bowing, scraping, begging, licking Sidious's boots, Mm -hmm. pleading for mercy. And Sidious is calm and collected and reads the situation perfectly and yeeting people through walls. Yep. And he is absolutely terrifying to watch. There are several extremely good battles in this arc. Uh, the Previsla versus Darth Maul one is fantastic, but this one takes the cake because the very, the one sweep and faint in the throne room before Sidious throws the Brothers Opus through the window, he takes his lightsabers out and they... They fall out of his sleeves into his hand as if by magic. And then he sweeps the floor into sparks and shoves them. We've never seen Sidious wielding a lightsaber before, have we? We have not. Wow. Yes. Yes. It is so scary watching him move with that fluidity. What I actually loved was seeing, let me count, one, two, three, four, five Sith lightsaber blades in combat against each other. Yeah. Because... We have never seen a purely two-on-one Sith battle ever. It's always been a Sith against a Jedi, you know, in Phantom Menace, Mm -hmm. or two Siths kind of in the same vicinity, like when Obi-Wan and Asajj were fighting... Oppress and Maul. Oppress and Maul. So this was really exciting to have the only characters on stage in the camera lens were Sith. So... The brothers land on a ledge and they push Sidious off. Sidious cackles, stops in midair for a minute, 
yanks them after him and they're all falling. He is cackling as they fall like a hundred feet. Sidious lands and is ready to fight. So are the brothers oppressed. As they get into this fight, Sidious slams Maul into a wall and Maul is like, you know, crackling up against this wall. And then he goes up against Savage and it's like snip, snip, snip. Savage is off balance, off kilter. And then cackling, Sidious takes his lightsabers spins them behind him and just twerks into into Opress. I'm offended by that twerk. <laughs> that is the note I have in my notes thing, too. Oh, my God. Twerks right into him. No, the indignity of being twerked to death. And Opress starts dying because, like, we've seen Savage Opress get shot to pieces before. Savage has always been the weaker link in the brothers Opress in their duels, even though he's bigger, yeah. even though he's stronger. He's the one that Obi-Wan took down in the previous arc by, you know, repeatedly smashing his knee yeah, and then cutting off his arm. So we think of Savage as this enormous, fast, agile beast. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Sidious, it's like he's this untrained apprentice. I think that goes to show something I read about sword fighting a long time ago, which is that an amateur is really scary because they're just going to wave the sword around and they won't do anything like smart or stupid or predictable. Yeah. And you might just end up stabbed back. Oh, darn. Like I was not expecting you to do that because that was really dumb. I don't know if that's what describes Savage, but he has this strength and cleverness and brutality. There's one moment where, uh, Sidious is down. Savage slams his lightsaber into the ground and Sidious has to dodge out of the way. Sidious swings back with both of his light, both of his lightsabers and Savage turns on his other blade to block them, mm. which is a clever move. Mm-hmm. It was it was pretty clever, but it seems like Savage relies on his strength. And when you compare them all, you know, Savage is linebacker sized. He's seven foot nothing and 300 pounds he's missing a couple horns which i notice every time he's on yeah. screen since the last arc i'm like what happened to baby savage's horns they're in adi Galia's guts oh my god um, uh, too soon and then maul is lithe but muscular i wouldn't want to get into a tussle with maul but sidious is an old man he makes them look like neophytes and Sidious is able to go toe-to-toe with them when he's not doing his crazy freako disco moves as he's like <laughs> sliding underneath things because he's moving around sinuously. It's this whole new lightsaber style we haven't ever seen before. So I watched a little behind-the-scenes interview with Dave Filoni about mm-hmm. this arc, and he was like, the Vizsla Maul duel in Shades of Reason was the best lightsaber fight we've ever done. And then he paused and he was like, until the one in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> because this one is so crazy good. So I actually loved the Vizsla Maul duel more. What I love about that duel is that Vizsla is using it's all of his all the tricks. dirty tricks that mm-hmm. he has. It's it's the full array of weapons that the Mandalorians have devised to use against a force wielding foe. Mm-hmm. He drags the dark saber along the tiles and he throws these splinters of glass into Maul's face. He gets Maul's legs with the whipcord. He uses the flamethrower, the jetpack. He's got blasters. He's got the darksaber. He's got ninja throwing stars. He's got grenades that are working pretty well. I mean, he throws the kitchen sink at this guy. And Maul is like, okay, I I see where you're going with this. (laughs) This is fine. 
I'm going to punch you in the face. Now. I think it's cute that you tried. And I am now going to literally throw you onto the stairs in front of your throne and put my boot on your face and embarrass you mm-hmm. before I behead you. There is a funny scene with those ninja throwing stars because they're like rocket stars launched from somewhere. I mean, I would expect no less yeah. from a Mandalorian. And uh, they actually catch some blood on Maul's cheek and Maul like smirks. He's like, hey, that's pretty good. He's bent over like Matrix style. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got two little razor lines on his cheek. And that's the extent of what Vizsla was able to do to him. And he's like, that's cute. Yeah. Or he's like, oh, that's pretty good. A for effort. Uh, I guess I'll finish this fight now. <laughs> It was it was crazy. It was indeed very epic. What I'd like, I was thinking of this yesterday when we were watching these, that I'd kind of like to go back and rewatch some of the early Clone Wars to, because I recall the earlier lightsaber scenes being so long and drawn out. And it later on, they are very quick. And that's more akin to actual sword fights because an actual sword fight that lasts longer than 30 seconds, like, you're just going to fall over dead because you go 100% balls to the wall full out for it's 30 so seconds. It's so fast, right? Yeah. I've seen a few videos of people who get up in like um, reproduction army and get into like a big scrum and are like beating each other senseless. And they'll do it for like 30 minutes, but that's like the shield wall just tackling each other back and forth. But in a one-on-one sword fight, like a kendo match that lasts longer than 15 seconds, you're like, holy moly, those guys are just pouring sweat. Yeah, I'm realizing that I've only ever seen rehearsed and choreographed sword fighting where it's in a movie or it's on a Mm -hmm. YouTube video and it's kind of a demonstration bout. Yeah. What do they call that? A demonstration, I guess. I guess. And it's not as exciting because people are anticipating each other's moves because they're doing a pattern dance. Yeah. So I don't know what it looks like. It's pretty wild. To do it for real. There's there's cool stuff. I have gotten into following this for a while. I'm I think archery's my archaic sport to follow. So I'm more of a a night sister, but we'll see if I can. Oh my god, I love that for you. Yeah. I know we talked about the artwork a little bit. There's two really interesting pieces of artwork. There is more cubist art. I literally wrote down more cubism. Both fights are against a very artistic backdrop. So I wrote down, and I have my answer. I want to hear yours. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the significance of Maul and Vizsla in the throne room with their lightsabers <laughs> and their darksaber dueling under that enormous stained glass cubist window portrait of Satine? So we touched on this a little bit earlier. It's intriguing that Satine's hubris, isolationism, her personal affect. Leaking into her political machinations. Yeah. So she considers herself the state, right? She is the Mandalorian state. I think she holds herself to such a high standard Mm -hmm. because she believes that she embodies Mandalorian pacifism. And so she is not only a representative of Mandalore, she is a representation of Mandalore. And the ideological, ideologically pure representation. Yeah, she is the living ideology, the living legacy. Yeah, I mean, if anything, uh, it's got shades of the, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Jush philosophy of North Korea, where you like... The state is a person. Oh. Or um, the Sun King. That seems very close to theocracy, honestly. It does. It does. In that, like, the ideals of this person are the ideals of the state. And yeah. that, that does lead to that person failing. Now, that said, 
Mandalore basically only exists because of her, because Loras is squabbling tribes in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Mm -hmm. So obviously Maul and Previsla are fighting over that legacy, but they're also destroying it. I read it as Satine is looking down on her legacy of pacifism being destroyed. That's a good read too. That's what I that's what I saw because it's not a happy portrait. I mean no, it's, cubism, it's cubism, so like nobody looks happy. Yeah. But it's a it's a sad, thoughtful, wistful portrait. Mm -hmm. And her hands are kind of clenched together. And there's that scene when Vizsla and Maul are striving back and forth in front of it, and she's looking down on them and she looks horrified. Yeah. Because her pacifism is being obliterated. And we're right back to the squabbling civil war that she saved Mandalore from. 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So it's like everything that she strived for no longer exists. And that circles back to Satine's flaw when you read it as such, which is that she did not build that power network of allies to help her out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second fight occurs on that a similar cubist art in between the Mandalorians and the Jedi. Oh, yeah. Is that on the plaza where all the Sundari citizens are gathered like eight times during this arc? No, no. This is where um, I, it's outside the window that Maul and Savage are thrown through by Sidious. And they're fighting yeah. in front of this big piece of art. And there's some really funky looking, like you're looking at these figures like, what are these dudes? And then you pan a little bit and you see on the other side is a whole bunch of Mandalorians with guns arrayed mm. against them. And you're like, okay, those are Jedi because they're a bunch of weird aliens with yeah. lightsabers. And these are... Mandalorian. Yeah, it's such a politicized mural because the Jedi look all droopy and weird like space aliens. Yeah. Like they just hopped off of their UFO and the Mandalorians are like crisp and they've got their armor and their blasters. And mm -hmm. you're like, okay, that that's propaganda. Yes, for sure. And the fact that that might be the art there, because for a hot minute there, for maybe five minutes, Maul is in fact the leader of Mandalore. Yeah, and he's got even a puppet prime minister doing all the hard work for him. And he has a Darksaber, which proclaims that he is the leader, the rightful leader of Mandalore in the old tradition. He overthrew the new tradition, so he's got a lot of support to be the leader of Mandalore. And in the fight between Jedi and Mandalorians, they lost, but they were able to defeat a crushing blow to the Jedi and almost wipe them off the planet, so, or off the face of the galaxy. So... It represented a cleaning out, I guess, of both forces. And a that's purge. What, a purge. And that's what's happening now as well, because that is what uh, Sidious says, that you have become a rival. There mm. can only be two Sith. You are no longer my apprentice. You have been replaced. You know what I loved about that? And I wrote this down and I thought, Anna, you're a freaking genius. Mm -hmm. Not really, but it was a, I, had a, I had a light bulb moment. Yeah. I had a Jimmy Neutron brain blast. I, I, I can see your notes. You circled that and wrote, Anna, you're a freaking <laughs> genius. So Vizsla's last words, mm -hmm. only the strongest shall rule. Yeah. And he's talking about Maul, right? Yeah. And then Maul and Savage are dueling Sidious. And Sidious toys with them, yeah. takes them down. Only the strongest shall rule. Vizsla was actually talking about Sidious. Could be. How I mean, he didn't know that Sidious existed, but what he meant was mm -hmm. like, only the strongest shall rule and you, Maul, are not the strongest. I would be thinking, so recall back to, oh gosh, what's his name? Ahsoka's boyfriend. Lux Bonteri. Lux Bonteri. Um, How dare you forget Luxoka? Luxoka. It's actually not a great ship, but it's, it's got a great name. Okay, so 
when Lux Bonteri gets meets up with Death Watch, they're like, we hate Count Dooku too. Which makes sense because Count Dooku, the last time that uh, Previsla and Bo-Katan dealt with a Sith, they got hosed as well. I would imagine, because Previsla is not a stupid man, that he would have been like, all right, I'm going to research as much as I can about the Sith to figure out what's going on. And then when he meets Maul, he's like, okay, so you're a Sith, which is cool. You hate the, That means you hate the Jedi. Me too. Me too. Samesies. But it also means that you are probably eventually going to take on Dooku. And he, I hate Dooku, so... Oh, plans within plans. But I think that Previsla got too ambitious. If he had been playing up that effect, he would have been like, yeah, Dooku's the Lord of the Sith now. And Molly had been like, nuh uh <laughs> been like, okay, so that means that there's a different Lord of the Sith. And now, then he would be in on the secret. Ooh. But... Previously, when I said Previsla is not a stupid man, I might have misspoken. I mean, we talked at length about how he is a butt monkey, which yeah. I think is true. But I think he is conniving. Yeah. And cunning is different than intelligence. True. So I think he is cunning. I don't know how smart he is. I do agree he's a butt monkey. <laughs> what, I, what I like about Vizsla is that he actually gave himself a noble death. We mm, were talking yeah. last night. We were hanging out with your sister and her husband, and they were talking about how they were listening to the season one episode on Traspass, where we famously said Chairman Cho died like a bitch, (laughs) which I apologize. Sometimes we swear. And for all his flaws, Vizsla did not die like a bitch. He died like a warrior. He died like a warrior. He said, only the strongest shall rule. I'm not the strongest. In this sandbox, you are the strongest. There is a bigger sandbox. And you are not the biggest boy in that sandbox. But this is the sandbox I'm standing in, and you are the big boy here. So that actually brings me to my new segment called Death Watch. Oh my god! (laughs) It's time for Death Watch! It's time for Death Watch! It's time for Death Watch. I want to know, out of the three major deaths in this arc, Pre Vizsla, Duchess Satine, and Savage Oprez. Savage. Savage. Thank you. Which one of them affected you most and why? Oh. Because I know that you're on Team Brothers Oprez. You like the big, big, sad beef boy. I love the big, sad beef boy more than he's... He's my beefaroni. <laughs> He's my baby. Okay, I cried for about 15 minutes when Satine died, mm-hmm. which I was having a very emotional day. I respect this about myself. <laughs> and it was hard, but people had been so weird. Every time I brought up Satine, they would be like, who's your favorite character in the Clone Wars? I'm like, gosh, I really love Satine. And they would go, mm. <laughs> Tell tell me what you love about Satine. So I am not a stupid person. I knew something was going to happen. I knew that Satine never popped up again after the Clone Wars. So I was bracing for impact. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of meaning in Satine's death. What I mourn most is the death of Savage's potential. Mm -hmm. 
because I had these theories about how he was locked inside of this flesh puppet and he was a good person and he was a symbol of everyone who gets brainwashed against their own personality and gets, yeah, I just, I had all of these theories and ideas and I mourn the life that Savage could have had. It would have been a lesser life. It would have been a more provincial, rural life, mm -hmm. but he would have been with his brother, Farrell, who he loved. He would have been in a place where he was accepted. Yeah. He would have just lived his life. And I mourn the fact that war takes these things away from people. I think that's a good read, particularly because when he gets killed by whatever Sith magics Sidious does on him, because as I was alluding to, he's been shot a bunch of times and he just gets back up when he gets and he got his arm chopped off and it was leaking green goo then. But now Gross. when he gets stabbed fatally, he dissolves into his old self. And his last words are, brother, I am an unworthy apprentice. Mm. I'm not like you. I never was. Oh, his last words were that he failed. But also, I'm not like you. I never was. Because he was like, okay, I'm this big Sith bruiser. I'm going to punch Count Dooku. And then his whole life shatters because Asajj dupes him in the head and like, I'm replacing your memories with ones where we're cool. And then he's like, I don't know what to do. He follows his brother. They're like, hey, let's be crime lords. And he's like, yeah, that sounds fun. Like, I'm, I have no problems inflicting violence on people. Well, let's go back even further. I'm not like you, I never was. Mm -hmm. Means that even when they were growing up in the same village, Savage wanted something different from life than Maul wanted. Yeah. Like they grew up in the same place. Yeah, they did. They were Zabraks in their Zabrak village doing Zabrak things. And something always set Maul apart. And Savage would not have willingly followed in Maul's footsteps. He would have been a good person. That actually goes back to his recruitment with Asajj, right? Because Asajj is having to draw that out of him. Yes, they're having to artificially enhance something dark inside of him mm -hmm. or putting the darkness inside of him in the first place because maybe it was never there. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually that brings me some peace about his death because I, I had this like wound where Savage Opress used to be, you know? And I was mm -hmm. like, there's no meaning to be found in this at all. People can just get strong armed against their better natures and die as pawns in war. But maybe Savage retained some of his essence. Yeah. Some of his essential self. And I also like to think that uh, the two deaths besides Satine weren't spoiled for you. Vizsla absolutely was not. Savage absolutely was not. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that this arc was going to exist, what was going to happen. I didn't think we were going to see Mandalore again. I just thought Obi-Wan and Satine were going to keep dancing around each other their whole lives. And... I don't know, maybe Satine would grow up to be kind of like Elder Leia. Yeah. Just this elder statesperson continuing to fight the good fight. That makes me think that although the pantheon of Star Wars ghosts, the people who will carry the message forward to their to the future generations, is populated with a lot of famous characters, you know, a lot of old Jedi, a lot of leaders in the sequel trilogy, you know, uh, Kylo Ren is worshiping at Darth Vader's mask. and But then what would the women do? And we don't see that really until the sequel era when Rey meets Leia. But there's a lot of, a lot of stuff to be said for that, for having strong women 
in the series and, and supporting each other. And I, perhaps, uh, perhaps Satine is showing a path that is a learning experience for the women moving forward that they do need in the Star Wars universe, that they do need to have friends mm-hmm. and allies mm-hmm. because no matter how powerful you are when you're doing it alone, then only the strong will survive. Only the strong and only those who learn from the lessons presented to them. So mm-hmm. when something terrible happens, let it make you better. Also, this is the same thing. I mean, really, all three characters died for the same reason and that they were out-brutalized. Mm. Starting with Satine, any amount of violence would out-brutalize her, yeah. but... Also, it's the same messaging that the Jedi, the messaging problem that the Jedi have, because she's like, it's it's tough to say I have good news all the time. I mean, gosh, that's what my my parents who are far right conservatives will say. They're like, oh, you know, no one ever reports on the good news. It's like, yeah, because the bad news supports these forces of violence. The bad news supports these coups because it's just bad news, bad news, bad news. And it gets your blood riling. It instills fear. And when you install fear, you are able to install a coup. You are able to usurp power. That was Maul and Vizsla's plan the whole time. Also others. And so as you have fear, and that's also like why the Jedi are weakened, right? So the fatal flaw of Satine is the fatal flaw of the Jedi Mm -hmm. is the fatal flaw of Savage. Because out of the two brothers, he wasn't the brutal one. Despite being the brute, despite being the beast, despite being a creature of violence, he just kind of wanted to retire as a cool crime lord. Yeah, he didn't have the conviction. He didn't have the vision. He was Mm -hmm. just the muscle. And then finally, with Previsla, who actually had convictions to stand by, he's like the strongest shall rule Mandalore. He was a religious zealot in that sense, but it's convictions. And Maul had no such convictions. He's just an, a means to an end. And Sidious had no such convictions. He's like, you're a tool. And those are the last words of the episode. I have use for you yet. Mm. We have so many questions. We finished this arc and we have more questions than ever. Yeah. Are we going to find out what Sidious wants Maul for? What's going to happen with Obi-Wan now that Maul is dead and Obi-Wan is still in jail? What's going to happen with Mandalore? Like... Where is this all going? Maul's not dead. Now that now that Maul's been like taken out of the picture. Is he? Well, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. We are in for so we have one arc, one big arc, two episodes of the podcast left in season five. After that, we have season six, which is a shortened series that deals with some cleanup because it actually happens after the show was moved. Um, I'm not sure. I think from Cartoon Network to something else. And then years later came season seven. Mm -hmm. And basically the last arc of season seven is cut to whatever Bo-Katan was doing at the end of this arc. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot of cleanup to do before we finish this arc, but this is the setup for the end of the Clone Wars. Okay. Okay. So we're going to have to be patient. Mm -hmm. There is more buildup to be done. Mm -hmm. This is going somewhere. And I had completely forgotten about the Sith fight. I, I remembered the fight. I didn't remember that it was during this episode. And when it happened, uh, or like when halfway through the the final episode of this arc, I was like, oh, wow, there's still 10 minutes left in this episode. What's happening? I know. Don't Imperial you lo- March. Oh, crap. <laughs> Don't you love that when you go back to something that you watched a million years ago or read a million years ago, mm-hmm. and you're like, wait a second. 
what? There's this delightful interlude that I totally forgot about? Yeah. It's the best. It is the best. So we've done the plot. We've talked about the politics. We've done Death Watch. I think it's now time for Baywatch. Are you saying it's time for Baywatch? It's time for actual Baywatch now. It's time for actual Baywatch now. Actual Baywatch now. Actual Baywatch now. Actual Baywatch now. I am going to let my Death Watch stand in as my Baywatch because I talked about Satine and Savage. Both of them were deeply affecting for me. Mm -hmm. Instead, I want to hear about who your Bay is. Okay. It's Bo-Katan. Oh, that's such a good choice. Okay, tell me why. Uh, (laughs) I got a thing for redheads. Now, (laughs) Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan. Good answer. Through these four episodes, like we've seen her a lot. She is the other Death Watch person. The whole time she's the other Death Watch person. And she rampages, wantonly leaving a trail of destruction. But in these two episodes, when she, like, and she's always the voice of reason behind Previsley. She's always like, you know they're going to try to kill us. And he's like, yes, but we will have Mandalore. And she's like, all right, whatever. So doesn't help to have Mandalore if you're dead. Yeah, exactly. And she is also always the one who is the combat monster. And she does it in in this really interesting way. So when she rescues Kenobi, she flies in. She's got a few Mandalorians with her. And they do a completely non-lethal takedown of a whole bunch of Mandalorians. She actually, whenever she gets into combat with a Mandalorian, she's pretty reliably doing non-lethal takedowns. Like she's, she's shooting the blaster and stuff, but as much as she can... She's like, I'm going to tie your feet together, turn off your jetpack, and throw you down a canyon. And you might live. You might be, you might get clever enough to turn your jetpack back on. She's like beating the tar out of people, but she's not killing that many, which shows that she actually does care about the future of Mandalore because a country is its people. Mm. And she is fundamentally someone who, no matter how one would describe her understanding of Mandalore, because she was, as you said, raised as some level of nobility, the sister of a duchess, or maybe she was the sister before Satine became the duchess. But either way, she has like an understanding of the pacifism and she also has an understanding of the Death Watch. She has that big picture strategic political thinking that helps her to outmaneuver Visla and to plan for things that he's not planning for. Yes. And so when the civil war happens, she is the leader of one faction immediately. And she doesn't need to like start an underground resistance or anything. She's like, oh, I'm taking half the army. She doesn't even have to talk to them. They don't even have to look at Mm -hmm. her. They know that this is wrong and they know that she is the leader and they're going to follow her unquestioningly. Yes. That's power. That is power. More than a lightsaber. That is power. Yes. If people share your vision, that is power. And so that is what Previsla lacked in the previous episode, right? He says, you know, that's what Maul has to turn him down for. Your vision lacks clarity. He's like, this plan keeps getting worse and worse for me. And I just keep saying yes. I just keep shoving my foot in my mouth. <laughs> and, but Bo-Katan does not engage. She tests people and she does not say a lot. And when she does... She's saying it to mess with you to figure out your emotional response, Mm. which is the Sith style. But she's not a force user, right? She's just a Mandalorian. She's a smart warrior lady. So she pokes at you until she finds her weak points and then she shoots you in them. (laughs) And 
she has humility. Because at the end, she says, go tell the Republic what happened here. And Obi-Wan is like, you've been fighting against, the. you've wanted an independent Mandalore your entire life. And so did your sister and so did Previsla. That's what all Mandalorians want. If you ask for this, you are asking for something which will quash that dream. And she's like, okay. Yes. Because yeah. because it's better than the alternative. Because Mandalore will survive. Because she has faith that Mandalore will survive. And she has the humility to recognize that her vision of Mandalore's survival is not the only vision of Mandalore's survival. Flexibility. Adaptability. She's yeah. willing to bend where Satine would have broken. And, where Satine did break. And so we talked in the D-Squad arc about the hero's arc. And I think that she represents a more modern retelling of that, right? Mm. Because she never had to have a call for action, but she repetitively was the person to call for criticism and to call for questioning. She kept over and over again, and, and this is not just in this arc, it's every arc that Bo-Katan's been in. She's been the voice of reason saying, are you sure? She's the DM, are you sure? <laughs> and each time when it falls apart, she sets herself up with a little bit more power, a little bit more security, a little bit more safety. And then when it all falls apart, she has set herself up for success. Yes. If I was doing Baywatch, I also would have chosen Bo-Katan. You are allowed to do Baywatch. I might be choosing Bo-Katan for those reasons, but also because she embodies the great lesson, the great failing of Satine, the great failing of anybody who thinks they can go it alone. You can't. Yes, and Bo-Katan knew this from her time with Death Watch, because that is the story of Mandalore, isn't it? Pacifism works when everyone is being pacifist, but if people assume that it only works because no one bothers each other, but really you have to all be pacifist together as part of a community, and that's what fell apart. Or a military, a force of arms works because of numbers, and that's what they were saying at the beginning when mm-hmm. the uh, this crime syndicates invaded. We're being overwhelmed. They outnumber us. Mm-hmm. So numbers and strength work together. The two facets together combine show that Bo-Katan is, in fact, the future of Mandalore. Ooh, wow. And it's funny because I did not think much of her as a character for a long time. And it's through this arc and through this careful rewatching of the rise of Maul, the connection of the Death Watch, and seeing her more recently that I've been like, this is a more intriguing character than I recall. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it for Bo-Katan. Yeah. You go, Bo-Katan. What would Bo-Katan do? She'd punch it. <laughs> That is it for the revenge arc of season five of the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. Next week, we are beginning the Jedi Temple bombing arc. Mm -hmm. We are watching Sabotage, season five, episode 17, and the Jedi Who Knew Too Much, episode 18. Yep. Sam just made a really unsettling face. Yep. Okay, great. So more trauma to come. We're still having to pay for watching the Jedi younglings in the D squad arc. Oh my God. We're paying for being on vacation for half of season five. (laughs) We had so much fun. There were younglings. There were acrobats. There was, you know, death in the desert. It was great. Now it's 
Now let's go into the dark side. Okay. Well, stay tuned. We'll be with you next Tuesday to talk all about it. If you want more Skywalker, you can check us out on growingupskywalker.com. Whatever podcast app you're listening on, please make sure to rate us five stars and uh, send us a review. It really helps. And you can always follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want even more Skywalker, you can become one of our patrons. We offer Patreon bonus content every Thursday. And send this episode to someone who is a rival. Whoa, gotta put him in their place. (laughs) And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.